Welcome to Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, where we bring you news, politics, and culture without the red and blue treatment. My name is John Kiriakou, and I'm here in the studio with my co-host, Michelle Witte. Let's get ready to go against the grain. We have a good show today, as we always do. We have some of my favorite guests. We have Dr. David Walalu, who's going to talk about Ukraine and other international developments. Max Blumenthal, Mm -hmm. who's a friend of, of both of ours and is... Very busy. He's a very busy guy. And so it's kind of hard to get him on the show because he's out there and so active. He's going to come and uh, join us to talk about an important news story that he's been working on at the Gray Zone. Uh, Our own Jamarl Thomas is going to join us to talk about yesterday's congressional hearing on UFOs. And he's going to stay to talk about politics a little bit. And today is our first installment of Politics Wednesday, formerly known as Politics Friday. A whole different day. It's going to be very exciting. But of course, we also have breaking news. Yeah. This was first in the Washington Post. Apparently, Homeland Security's brand new disinformation board slash lunch meeting club is disbanding. And I have to say, when I heard this, <laughs> I expected to see a story about how the administration, you know, recognized the backlash they got at the concept of having a, a Homeland Security board decide yeah. what's good and bad information. Right. Or at least they might say, look, this was a good idea, but we botched the rollout, right. as Alejandro Mayorkas himself has said. Mm-hmm. But no, Mm-mm. the story in the Post and maybe I mean, well, there's reason for putting it there. The story in the Post is filed under Internet culture. Yeah. And the headline is how the Biden administration let right wing attacks derail its disinformation efforts. A pause of the Department of Homeland Security's newly created board comes after its head. Nina Yankowitz was the victim of coordinated online attacks as the administration struggled to respond. So according to the Post, this is not because everyone and their mother, except or members of the Democratic Party. Sorry if I missed any of you guys stepping out to criticize it, but everyone else on the right and the left said the U.S. government doesn't have a great track record when it comes to telling the truth, you know, across the board. They do better in some areas than others. And it's weird to have, uh, you know, a government body that sounds like it's just a censorship board. Mm-hmm. No, that's it's not because everybody was mad. It's because a bunch of people were mean Online to the head of the board. Yes. The Post says her experience is a prime example of how right wing the right wing Internet apparatus operates, where far right influencers attempt to identify a target, present a narrative and then repeat mischaracterizations across social media to discredit her. I mean, blah, blah, blah. It shows how institutions are are unable to respond to these kinds of attacks. I mean, one, you know, nonsense. I, the, the Yankowitz thing to me was sort of a sideshow, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the supercalifragilistic, you know, disinfo thing was, was silly. We, we got a laugh out of that. Yeah, we got a laugh out of that. Yeah, that wasn't serious. But I mean, I watched Mayorkas be grilled by Republican members of the Senate about the board and their issues with it, right? And we're not I didn't talking hear about her wacko. Come up. We're not talking about wacko Republican senators. We're yeah. talking about serious, thoughtful, respected senators. And like, sure, I, I think, again, that it is a shame that this is left to Republicans. It is sort of understandable that you don't have Democrats turning on their own executive right now, you know. And of course, the only reason you don't hear all the left wing criticisms of it is because the left is much more uh, zealously and scrupulously suppressed than uh, the right extreme. Right. But so we watched Mayorkas be grilled. I didn't hear her name come up at all. It completely ignores legitimate criticism of the project by the left. And 
what message does this send? Internet trolls. Yes. Like, John, if we are yes. all really mean to Anthony Blinken for like three yeah, weeks. Maybe he'll resign. Will they just shut down the State they Department? They shut it down. That would be awesome. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I, I wrote a, a an op-ed about this stupid board mm-hmm. and about uh, 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 Nina Jankowitz, Jankowitz, whatever her name is. And it wasn't mean-spirited. I wasn't yelling at her. I said, look, the woman made a name for herself as the author of two books on disinformation. That's great. But what did she then go out and do on Twitter? She she circulated a letter, an open letter, signed by 51 former senior CIA officers, and I mean every last one of them at the executive level, level former directors and deputy directors and chiefs of operation, saying that uh, the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian uh, intelligence and disinformation plot. Right. It or wasn't. Had, it had the fingerprints. That's how they got the, yes. That's how they got it around. It had the earmarks. Yeah. 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 Uh, these are supposed to be the best and the brightest, right? That was wrong. And, and she circulated it anyway. Another thing that she did was even when the, the Russiagate uh, thing was, was proven to be false, she doubled down and kept tweeting throughout that Donald Trump was a Russian agent. It was just simply wrong. It was disinformation. Yeah. And so that's the or person. Or it's just wrong, right? Which sometimes people are. Right? Sometimes, right. People, sometimes are just, people are just, who knows? Maybe, just wrong. Who knows? Maybe it is disinformation in her case. And but so like, I just didn't think it was responsible for the government to be the arbiter of what's true and what's not true on the Internet mm-hmm. and should be the, the body, the entity that decides who gets to say what. Yeah. But the other thing is, I have never felt more sympathy or Jankowitz, Jankowitz, whatever, uh, than now because they're they're making her look terrible. Yeah, she's right? the fall guy. She's in a this. professional woman, mm-hmm. as you say. She's an author. Like she's presumably presumably competent, right? Highly uh, put educated. At, yeah, they put her at the head of this board. They roll it out terribly. Yes, people criticize her for a few weeks, quite justifiably, mm-hmm. as they criticize Mallorcas himself. I'm sure she had some trolls coming at her saying your your singing is bad or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but like the, the, they are allowing it to be you know, brooded abroad that you were too mean to the lady. And that's why we're that's rolling why. this up. That yeah. makes her look terrible. Yeah. That it makes, makes her, her look weak. weak. They, they are doing that. And I don't, I mean, I don't for a minute believe that's the reason. It's obviously not. Uh, and so no, now they're using not. her as a scapegoat. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's the whole episode is shameful. Because you can't make Joe Biden look like the bad guy on this. No. So they made her so look like the bad guy. So we'll just hang on Yankowitz and we'll say, you guys yeah. are too mean to the nice lady. Let's that's get a right. big tough guy instead. I mean, stupid. There have been a couple of other developments today and yesterday that I think that I think are very important that, you know, may have gotten a headline. But uh, but the, the cable news networks aren't really delving into it. The, the Department of Justice yesterday asked the September, not September 11th, the January 6th <laughs> investigating committee. They would never ask. No, 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 <laughs> they won't. <laughs> they asked the January 6th investigating committee to provide them with transcripts from interviews with witnesses so far in this investigation. That was just a little headline. But this is really important. And I wanted to to uh, tell our listeners why. Back in the 1980s, when we had the Iran-Contra hearings, uh, the, the special committee in Congress wanted Oliver North to testify. Uh, he didn't want to testify. And so they gave him immunity. So he and his uh, attorney, I still remember his attorney, it was Brandon Sullivan. 
he and Brendan Sullivan went to the Hill, nationally televised hearings, and he just spilled his guts. And he told them everything. We were illegally, secretly selling weapons to the Iranians. We were taking the money using a Saudi cutout and then sending the money to buy weapons for the Contras in violation of, of U.S. law. Scandalous. And so he was charged with a crime. He was charged with a felony. And in fact, the, uh, the Pentagon revoked his pension. And he went to court and he said, no, 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 no. I got immunity from the committee. And the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And Oliver North won. And he got his pension back and the charges against him were dropped. Well, the Congress has vowed never to make that mistake again. So in this January 6th committee, they haven't offered immunity to anybody. So apparently some of these people either don't have attorneys or have bad attorneys or don't think they did anything wrong or whatever. And they've agreed to on the record interviews with the committee's investigators. Well, the Justice Department is asking for transcripts now so that they can go through these transcripts line by line by line and see who is admitting to have, having committed a crime or who can give us a lead about somebody else who's committed a crime so the Justice Department can file felony charges against people. Yeah, which would seem to be like, because uh, we've seen some charges, right? We've, yeah. seen, we've seen a bunch of charges of like trespassing and stuff. That's we right. haven't seen a lot of criminal they're conspiracy. They're minor, exactly. Yeah. So I guess exactly. this is what they're going to be looking for. They're looking for the important stuff now. Because See frankly, the, the committee investigators did their job for them, right? They're the ones that did the investigation. Yeah. So that's important. Uh, there's another Justice Department story that I think is important today. The Justice Department is suing billionaire casino owner Steve Wynn mm -hmm. to try to force him to register as an agent of the Chinese government. Um, several years ago, Wynn passed a message for, uh, to the Trump administration, or at least he was asked to pass a message to the Trump administration from a Chinese national asking that the U.S. government expel a Chinese dissident who had come here and had requested asylum in the United States. It's unclear if Wynn passed the message or to whom he passed the message, but in any event, the, the dissident was not expelled. In all honesty, though, Wynn is getting special treatment here because mm -hmm. if, if you did something on behalf of a foreign government, you have to go online. It's very simple. You go online to the, to the FARA website and you say, I did this uh, on behalf of this government. Mm -hmm. And then you send it in. It's literally as simple as that. Is he saying he never passed it? He, I mean, would that be his defense? He's, he's, that, that would be the logical defense. He's saying he's not an agent. Okay. That he wasn't doing it on behalf of any government. Oh. Yeah. That he just wanted this guy. Well, then this is, we're making the assumption that he ever passed this along. Right. Which is, uh, maybe there's a, maybe there's right. a reach here. Who knows? Now, the reason why I say he's getting special treatment though, Michelle, mm -hmm. is because, I mean, in recent history, have you heard of somebody being sued to force them to register as a foreign agent? Or have you heard of people being arrested and charged with not registering as a foreign agent? The like latter, Maria John. Butina. Yes, the Imagine. latter, John. I know, yeah. Imagine. Huh. How, much, how many uh, millions or billions were those people worth? Exactly. Is that, yeah. You yeah. know, one funny thing, too, to Punishable tell you. by a fine. Yeah. Legal if you're rich. That's right. Yep, yep. And if you're Maria Butina, 
you get double the maximum sentence for your first offense because they don't like your politics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was uh, such a shameful. Yeah, this is uh, this is embarrassing. You know, Steve Wynn, here's here's an idea of how rich Steve Wynn is. And the, the reason why he's important, by the way, is because during the Trump administration, he was the uh, head of finance for the Republican National Committee. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't even know that till mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Uh, but he, he owns several casinos and hotels in Las Vegas, including uh, the, his flagship is the Wynn Hotel and Casino. Mm -hmm. um, there's a famous story about him from two or three years ago. He he's an avid collector of art. And when I say art, I mean like the finest art money can possibly buy mm -hmm. Picasso and, you know, stuff like that. It, it, actually, he's a he's a famous collector of Picasso's paintings from his Cubist period. Okay. okay? So he had a painting in his office at the Wynn that he decided he wanted to sell. And it was worth about one hundred million dollars. And so another billionaire went in with his attorneys and his girlfriend to go look at the painting and maybe negotiate a deal with Wynn to buy the painting. So Wynn gets very excited about the painting and his arms are flailing around. And as he's describing the painting and why it's so important, he puts his elbow right through it, right through it. I saw a picture of it. It was a huge, it was like the size of a fist, mm -hmm. the hole in this $100 million painting. The article said that there was just shocked silence when he did it. And he turned and said, I think I just screwed up. Oh, no, that's uh -huh. the worst part of the story. <laughs> and I so think. he had to have a museum curator repair it. Mm -hmm. But then he ended up selling it for $50 million. I mean, he ruined it. Or you could say added value because there's a much better story associated with it well, now. Last week. Uh, a painting by Andy Warhol sold for a, a record, the most ever uh, paid for a painting by an American artist, $97.3 million, I believe it was, for a Marilyn Monroe painting. But he did a lot of Marilyn Monroe paintings. This was one called Shot Marilyn, Shot, uh, Shot Azure Marilyn, it was called. Okay. Because a lunatic walked in off the street one day and looked at four Marilyn Monroe paintings that were leaning against each other on the floor and pulled out a gun and shot them. And the bullet went through all four of them. Hmm. They were all four different colors. There was blue, orange, red, and I forget what the last one was, may hmm. have been gray. And so Andy Warhol repaired them and then changed the name from Marilyn to shot Marilyn. And of course they're worth four times what all the other Marilyns are worth. I mean, there you go. Sometimes a little alteration adds some value. Uh, we got to take a break and get to our first guest, but uh, I definitely wanted to mention something that we will get to a little bit later in the show. Uh, CPAC in Hungary this, this is year. Nuts. I, I learned this today. Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be a keynote speech by the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who really is sort of a, a far right darling. Crazy. Uh, Tucker Carlson's going to be there. Mark Meadows. Interestingly enough, I thought he was completely discredited by now. A bunch of other folks. So we'll get into what what that means and what might be going down at uh, CPAC, uh, you know, Madiar CPAC. <laughs> Before that, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break here on Political Misfits. Uh, we're on Radio Sputnik. We're live in D.C. We'll talk to you in a sec.
Welcome back to Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, where we bring you news, politics, and culture without the red and blue treatment. I'm Michelle Witte. I'm here with John Kiriakou. We're getting into some international news right now, including what's going on in Ukraine, what Antony Blinken and the foreign minister of Turkey might be talking about, uh, yeah. why exactly the U.S. is easing sanctions on Venezuela and why it's definitely not about getting Maduro and Juan Guaido to negotiate, no matter what they say, Ridiculous. and some other topics. Joining us for all of this is Dr. David Walalu. He's an international geopolitical consultant, speaker, author, veteran, and former international security analyst in Washington, D.C. Dr. Walalu, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Michelle and John. So let's start in Ukraine, where it appears that most of the rest of the Ukrainian forces that were holed up in the Azovstal steel plant have surrendered and appear to be headed to the same Russian-controlled areas of the country as were the wounded who were brought out yesterday. It is unclear who might remain in the complex, but there are some reports that I think are mostly coming uh, from the Russian side, that Azov battalion leaders in particular are holding out. There has been a lot of talk of prisoner exchanges, especially coming from the Ukrainian side. Uh, but there have also been statements. And from like, what I can see, this, these are from sort of various Russian officials, not from the Kremlin uh, yet or directly, uh, but about potentially holding trials for some of those who have surrendered for war crimes. And so now as we have Ukraine holding war crimes trials for Russian soldiers, uh, the first of which has just pleaded guilty to killing an unarmed civilian. Now you have Russia perhaps setting up to hold trials of Ukrainian soldiers that it's captured. And I am guessing that these would be trials for crimes allegedly committed in the eight years of fighting over Donetsk and Luhansk. But it also, I mean, Russia only recognized Donetsk and Luhansk in February. So I guess this would be Russia prosecuting Ukrainian soldiers for war crimes committed against other Ukrainians within the border of Ukraine, unless you think there's something else going on. And I just wonder how that is going to be credible. Well, you're absolutely correct, Michelle. Uh, the surrender of the about, what, 960 or so Ukrainian soldiers uh, at the compound yesterday or the day, or on Monday, rather. Uh, yeah, it's a clear indication as to, you know, how much can they hold up there? Yeah. What I found very interesting is that the Ukrainian government, you know, right away issued a statement that it was the one that had to sort of take a credit into paving the way, which is nonsense. Mm -hmm. Nonsense. The reason being because those soldiers or those fighters, whatever you want to call them, they, they couldn't hold up anymore mm -hmm. They've been, because there are a lot of tunnels under that factory. So and, and they are running short on, on, on the food and supplies and all that. So it was about time to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea of the trial, which I found very interesting, mm -hmm. like you suggested, you know, this might have to go back to the eight war, the, 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 uh, the conflict uh, throughout the eight years in the Donbass area. But this has nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. It has to do with two elements outside the area. One of them is the ICC, the International Criminal Court, which has about 42 cases open now in Ukraine, mm -hmm. okay? And the second one, it has to do with the US request for establishing some sort of, uh, uh, what we call it, an evidence or so of sort, uh, like investigation of to the crime in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That is what this is all going, this is why you heard from certain sources inside Russia, but not from the Kremlin yet, because it has not been confirmed yet. Mm -hmm. You mean this this um, conflict observatory for, for Ukraine that the uh, U.S. just launched? Thank yeah. you, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely correct. Well, I mean, 
Really, do we have, uh, I mean, I'm going to say it. It pains me to say it, but I am going to say it. Do we have any credibility left mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. us launching or conducting investigations when we couldn't figure out our own? Yeah. And, and what am I referring to here? I'm referring to the latest report from the Pentagon that found that the 2019 killing of civilians in Syria in the city of uh, Al-Baghuz, Fokani. You know, they found now, no, 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 uh, no crimes were committed. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. No, I mean, the you U.S. killing 70 civilians and you're saying no crimes were committed? No, the U.S. has no credibility when it comes to, uh, zero. Ex- yeah. you know, war yeah. crimes, observations or anything else. I mean, yeah. And the way they couched it, too, was scandalous. They said that although things could have been done differently, no crime was committed. Uh, every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, not right. I mean, no. really, as 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 a former soldier myself, as a veteran, whatever, it really saddens me to say this, but we have no credibility. Mm-hmm. And this is why you are hearing now what, what when it comes down to uh, the, the surrender of those Ukrainian soldiers, mm-hmm. you're going to be hearing more and more because now the ICC has been pushed by behind closed doors by some countries who are funding now for uh, for uh, uh, Korean Khan to go ahead and launch the investment. Mm-hmm. This is what you're going to be hearing more and more coming out of. But we all know where Europe is headed right now, whether you're talking about Eastern Europe or you're talking about the EU as a whole, especially with Germany and France, realizing what a, what a strategic mistake we have made by following the U.S. policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is what I, I mean, see. Yeah, well, here's what I want to ask. Like, Do you think these... Uh, how likely are we to actually see trials in Russia of some of these uh, captured, surrendered soldiers? And how much of this is likely to be, uh, you know, negotiating tactics for eventual prisoner exchanges? Because also Russia's justice ministry appealed yesterday to its Supreme Court to declare the Azov regiment a terrorist organization that would seem to facilitate war crimes trials of its members. Uh, But the timing seems suspect. You know, they're only getting around to it now. Again, like the timing of this seems suspect. So I I wonder if Russia really intends to try a bunch of soldiers for terrorism uh, on behalf of an organization that they have just now gotten around to calling terrorist. Or again, is this just sort of about uh, setting the table for negotiating an exchange? That's a strategy. That mm-hmm. is strategy. Russia approached it. Russia doesn't do in 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 my years of learning about Russia, and, and I wrote a book about them, and and, and I, I read enough to know Russia doesn't do random. Mm-hmm. There is no random. It's almost like you think about it from a military perspective, uh, with the special ops, whatever. There is no randomness. You do things for a reason, and this is no different than any other strategy uh, that Russia has thought about mm-hmm. way back. Uh, when it comes down to these military operations in Ukraine. So so personally, if I am to look at it as an analyst, Mm -hmm. this is a tactic that's been put in place, strategy in place, just in case. Russia is not going to go ahead and proceed with with the issue of the terrorists and so forth right away. Mm -hmm. It will be, as you well said, when it comes down to the exchange, should that happen or any other uh, strategy or, 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 or plan or whatever the West wants to throw at uh, Russia, they will have a plan in place to counter that. Mm-hmm. 
Let's also talk about Venezuela, where the U.S. is easing some sanctions and allowing some American and European oil companies to begin negotiating mm-hmm. with the Venezuelan government again. And again, the idea of the U.S. Allowing, allowing European oil companies yeah. <laughs> to negotiate is just funny in itself. So the United States has been quietly talking with the Maduro government about energy security for months. And it seems silly to imagine that this is about anything other than finding a way to get more oil products to market to replace Russia's. But both the Washington Post and the New York Times led their stories on the move by saying it is intended to facilitate talks between Nicolas Maduro and the U.S.-backed opposition. So that's Juan Guaido coming back into the picture after having been just in absolute silence lately. So supposedly this is intended to bring Maduro back to the negotiating table to ensure free and fair elections in 2024. Uh, Comically, the Biden administration is saying they made the move at the request of Juan Guaido, while an opposition Venezuelan official the Times spoke to supposedly said, no, the request came from Maduro. (laughs) So just a cherry on top of all of this uh, subterfuge, right? But I want to know how significant you think this move is, right? Because the White House is acting like, look, It's no big deal. We could snatch it right back if Maduro doesn't negotiate the way we want him to. Uh, That, to me, seems unlikely. And I wonder what you think. Well, it's laughable, Michelle. I mean, I'm not laughing out of laughing, but it's laughable for the stupidity Mm. of our foreign policy decision makers not to understand the dynamics. This is no different than what just happened with this ASEAN-US summit last weekend, Mm -hmm. which was like, you know, that's pathetic. I don't know who's advising our, the president, but, you know, they don't understand the depth of what geopolitics is all about. So going to Venezuela and them for whatever it might be. Do you think they're going to forget what we have done to them? Mm -hmm. Do you think they're going to say, sure, America is asking for now, we can support with uh, more oil and so forth. We're going to do it out of the goodness of our hearts. They're not going to do that. And they shouldn't do that Mm -hmm. because the U.S. has sort of abused its its power, sort of used sanctions to far beyond what they were intended to. Mm -hmm. But there is another issue to all this that is tied to Europe. Of course, the consequences of the ill-conceived U.S. foreign policy and the sanctions on Russia. Because Europe now is realizing that no one, no one, when I say no one, I'm referring to no country can replace Russia's energy supply to Europe. Mm -hmm. I say this with the confirmation, because I've been reading through, looking at, for example, what Qatar can do, what Mm -hmm. Turkey can do, what Algeria can do, what, uh, you know, certain countries, there is no way for Qatar, as an example, they don't have the capacity, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) excuse me. And this is why the U.S. is reaching out to like Venezuela, because we all know it's a large producing oil country, part of the OPEC and so forth. They're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. But also Europeans are now feeling the pain. They're starting to realize this is going beyond what we have expected. Mm -hmm. And two things that will confirm for your listeners what I'm talking about. Last week, it was a phone call, actually two phone calls, one from Olaf Scholz to Putin and another call from Emmanuel Macron to Putin. The interesting thing is that the call from Olaf Scholz to Putin lasted for about an hour. Mm-hmm. An hour phone call. And here is the thing. We didn't hear much about it here in the mainstream media in the West. The mm-hmm. reason being because the U.S. does not want any communication between its European allies and Russia. Mm-hmm. 
because Europeans are realizing more and more, we better negotiate with the Russians to settle this because it's going to be on us. What I mean by that is the social unrest that is going to be unleashing or is going to ensue very, very soon, knowing that the price is now is going up, mm-hmm. whether when it's cold or when it's hot, and Europeans are coming to realize all this reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you that know is what? where the issue is. So. I'm glad you brought up the ASEAN summit because I was really mm-hmm. looking for, I spent some time in Southeast Asia. I was really looking forward to talking about it and seeing what the Biden administration was going to try and do. There was no Nothing. news about it at all. It was really wow. like, and the, the little analysis I saw was basically like, this is, this is really not serious. You know, like the, the Obama administration, you know, whatever, for all its flaws, the, their engagement with Southeast Asia was much deeper when they, you mm-hmm. know, Obama's ASEAN summit involved a lot more bilateral meetings. And yeah, it just seems like it's for show. But then also they, they're kind of screwing up the for show bits, too, because the um, the Venezuelan, uh, you know, the, the sanctions relief raises now this debacle of the summit of the Americas that is supposed to happen early next month. And the U.S. Yeah. Uh, a while back said it didn't want non-democratic countries to join. Mm-hmm. So excluding Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua, according to the U.S. definition there. Um, and then a bunch of other countries, including Mexico, <laughs> a pretty big one, uh, Bolivia, a bunch of Col- uh, Caribbean states, Honduras. They said, eh, if you're not going to meet with those guys, then you can count us out, too. And so perhaps now uh, this move has saved the administration the embarrassment of hosting a summit of like just a few countries in the Americas. Uh, and so I wonder if this saves the summit. But also, yeah, I, you know, I, I want to hear what you made of that ASEAN summit in D.C. that just generated absolutely no news. Yeah. Well, I did talk about it last week. I don't remember where, but I did provide a brief analysis. But here's the thing. And I happen to know a little bit about uh, that part of the world also. I've traveled around there. The the point is this. You you all remember the visit of the uh, foreign minister of uh, Singapore in March. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was in the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, here is the reason why. It's because the U.S. has been asking ASEAN countries back then for a summit and they turned it down. So to save face, mm. they decided, you know what, let's send the, the uh, and of course they were debating among themselves. But the issue is not about that. And the issue is not about the US aid to ASEAN $450 million, which is an insult. If I were to oh, advise yeah. the president, I'd say, sir, you don't want to do that. Because how can you give $150 million to a $3 trillion economy? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Second thing is that ASEAN has reached a conclusion that we better be neutral because we cannot jeopardize our economic growth given the access to the Chinese market. And also we don't want to anger the United States. But the best way to do it with the U.S. is to just sort of just go along with whatever. They're not going to do what the U.S. is asking, but they will go along with whatever they are just saying. And the indication to this, Michelle, is now the election of the new Philippines president, Marcos Jr. And it will be interesting, and I'm going to keep my eyes open come June 30th when he will, when he will be inaugurated to see what kind of policies he's going to pursue. I've already had some talks with some of my contacts and saying those are inside, they understand the dynamics internally. They're saying, no, 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 he is going with China. He's not going with the U.S. That's the the bottom line for the ASEAN is the economic growth. And Mm -hmm. they are not going to mess up on this. And this is where the European Union now 
It's coming to realize where things are headed. And when I see European Union, I'm referring basically to Germany, because between Germany, which holds about 25% of the total share of GDP of the EU, France about 17, Italy about 12, uh, that's basically what we're talking about. And they are realizing this ban on Russian oil is going to impact not only people, but the industries inside Germany. And they are wondering, actually, the question that many analysts now are asking is this, is this the beginning of the end for the EU as a venture or block or project, whatever you want to call it? Hmm. The second question is, will ASEAN take over hmm. the EU in the next five or 10 years? Hmm. Yeah, that would be an interesting reversal. Speaking of Europe, I, I also noticed that uh, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is supposed to meet with mm -hmm. Turkey's foreign minister today at the U.N. This is apparently mm -hmm. a meeting that has been scheduled for some time. It's on the sidelines of another event. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, of course, Turkey's efforts to get something for itself in exchange for letting Finland and Sweden join NATO will come up. And today, a Turkish newspaper said it had gotten hold of Turkey's specific demands. We knew the general outlines already. Um, uh -huh. that Finland and Sweden stop any financial support to groups linked to the Kurdish, Kurdistan Workers' Party, as well as to Syrian Kurdish fighters. There is to be no more contact between the Scandinavian governments and the groups. Turkey wants extradition of suspects. It wants to be exp uh, expedited. And it wants Sweden to clamp down on what it calls a disinformation campaign against Turkey that it says is led by Gulenists, who Ankara blames for the 2016 coup attempt. Um, and so I'm curious, David, how much you think Turkey is going to get out of, of these negotiations and also what impact these concessions could really have, you know, on on the Kurdistan Workers Party and, uh, you know, sort of geopolitically. Well, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, question and observations, Michelle, because that goes at the heart of where Turkey is when it comes down to understanding NATO, because it's a very, very crucial. And we all know the strategic location of Turkey makes it very, very, very important to NATO. Now, the question is going to become is, how far will they go? When I, when I say they, I'm referring to NATO to sort of accept whatever Turkey is asking about. And even NATO, it won't matter because when we talk about NATO, we talk about the United States. That's like what's going on right now between Ukraine and, and Russia and all that. Ukraine cannot negotiate anything whatsoever without the approval of the United States. So the talks between the uh, uh, Tony Blinken and the foreign minister of uh, uh, Turkey, it's going to focus on this point because both entities, the United States and Turkey, considered PKK as a terrorist group. Now, will the U.S. reverse that quickly? And if they do, what will be the credibility of the United States vis-a-vis -vis other organizations? And that's going to put the U.S. into a very awkward political position, so to speak. Uh, it's hard to tell at this point. I'm keeping my eyes open to see how things going to, whether Turkey is going to stand by or not, but also the demonstrations that just happened in Turkey near a military base against NATO suggest to me that they will not waver onto the issue of the support of the terrorist entities uh, that the Scandinavian countries, uh, Finland and Sweden, have been providing for this. So, Erdogan's going to stand his ground. But as you know, when it comes down to geopolitics, it's all about interests. If, if the West is willing to give something in return 
to uh, Turkey, I won't be surprised that he might reverse course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Turkey really has so, been a, a model for, could, you know, using, taking every opportunity and using it to your advantage, whether oh I agree God, with yes. what they're doing or not, yeah. they, they are doing it, right? I also yeah. want to ask... And here's the thing, and here's the thing, Michelle, is mm-hmm. there something wrong with that? No. When it comes down to international relations, it's all about national interest. Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, to me, it's a matter of do you understand, meaning countries, whatever, do you understand how to maneuver within the international system? Mm -hmm. That is what you mean. Because here's the idea of Finland, you know, I, I, I can confirm this and I am reaching out to some people to confirm something. I was informed that it was about $50 billion that made its way to Finland behind closed doors. For this NATO, for this NATO vote. Exactly. Mm. I, I, I can't confirm this one, but I am pursuing this to, under, to, to see what this is. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, here is Finland that's been in, 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 in a peaceful coexistence with the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War, all of a sudden changing its uh, uh, position regarding NATO in a, in a matter of 24 hours or 48 yeah. hours. Mm. That's yeah. to me what's surprising them. So when it comes down to national interest, some you know countries will do whatever they want, they need to do to ensure uh, those interests will be uh, within their grasp. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I think it's a little different position being a border state from a. I don't know. It's, it's it, lots of. I think there are probably lots of different motivations underway. I also, Dr. Walalu, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you just briefly about Africa with. Uh, Joe Biden right now, uh, you know, reversing a Trump era decision and sending several hundred U.S. troops back to Somalia. Uh, Also, late last month, the House passed the Countering Malign Russian Activities in Africa Act. It, of course, (laughs) hasn't got anywhere in the Senate. Who knows if it has any chance of actually passing? But I do think, you know, especially with African nations sort of declining to join the U.S. in in efforts to isolate Russia economically and politically, uh, I think that the African continent is probably going to be getting a lot more attention from the United States. And I wonder uh, what forms you expect this attention to take in the near future. Uh, It's going to be in trying to sway countries to reverse their approach to China and Russia. Mainly, that is the key to it. But the issue of Somalia, which which I've been around that part of the world a couple of years ago, uh, on my way to uh, Ivory Coast, if I am not mistaken, and Addis Ababa and all that. So you, you kind of see where the trends are headed. And where the trends are headed is this, you know, Mali has kicked France out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the neighboring countries of uh, Eritrea and Ethiopia, they are embarking on some very infrastructure projects. One of them that I am very familiar with, it has to do with China's investments of $475 million into urban railroad projects. You know, can you just imagine what that's going to do to a country of almost 100 million people? And this also has to do with the presence of Russia also in that part of the world. So the U.S. is realizing if France is not there, we can't afford that. We have to have some Western presence of sort. Mind you also that uh, in about three months ago, it was a report came out out of the, uh, the World Bank indicating that about 25 countries in Africa, uh, including Egypt, believe it or not, and Tunisia, that could be experiencing the same economic uh, outcome that Sri Lanka is experiencing today. And this has to do with the debt and so forth. So the U.S. is thinking about it 
of course, from geopolitical aspect, not the economic one, but also this is to ensure that China and Russia do not expand even further their presence in Africa. So sending troops to Somalia again, what more? You know, let the country be stabilized because they're going to have elections soon. Let them be stabilized and let them move on with whatever they need to do. Of course, for us, we always have to look for opportunities where we can create chaos. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, that was Dr. David Walalu. He's an international geopolitical consultant and speaker. He's an author. And if you want to hear more from him, you can listen to Geopolitics in Conflict on YouTube. Dr. Walalu, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Michelle. We are going to go straight into our next topic. Yes, indeed we are. And it was something that we mentioned in the the introduction to the show. Our friends at The Gray Zone have published an explosive story on primary source documents based on primary source documents, right? They're not making this up. They're not speculating. They've got actual documents that show that pro-Brexit elites in the British Conservative Party sabotaged former Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal, infiltrated the British government, spied on campaign groups, and eventually replaced May with the current uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The documents which were reviewed by the Gray Zone show that British intelligence chief uh, Richard Dearlove, who's been in MI6 for many, many, many years, pitched espionage operations targeting civil service and campaign groups. And he even proposed using retired CIA officers to set up front groups that would infiltrate pro-Remain groups, Remain in, in the EU. The operations were financed by British billionaires operating secretly, and now those same people are seeking to remove Boris Johnson from office. We are joined by Max Blumenthal. Max is the editor-in-chief of The Gray Zone. He's an award-winning journalist, and he's the author of several books. Welcome back, Max. Hey, John. Great to be back. So good to have you back, Max. This, this whole story, it, it sounds like it's right out of a movie, but we're not talking about a movie. We're talking about a secret operation or series of operations that have been documented in emails. These are emails that you have seen. Can you walk us through what it is that you've reviewed? Yeah, and actually we have a follow-up that's due imminently on the site. I actually have to do a live stream in a few minutes, so my appearance here will be short. Um, uh-huh. i got to get that, that piece up. Um, and I really recommend you having the author of this piece, Kit Clarenberg on, I've been working with Kit Wonderful. on, uh, going through this massive tranche of leaked emails and what we've found and what Kit specifically found was that an intelligence cabal, a uh, pro-Brexit intelligence cabal, uh, apparently led by someone named Gwythian Prince, who probably no one has ever heard of. No, Kit. I had to Google him when I read the name. Yeah, who apparently is deeply influential within the Tory party, has connections in NATO, British academia, working with the former MI6 chief, Richard Love, who you probably know. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're running espion- or, or proposing espionage operations targeting the civil service, which they considered uh, pro-Remain, uh, targeting campaign groups. They actually planted a mole inside the UK civil service named Evelyn Farr, someone also completely unknown. Uh, who actually managed to spirit out secret or highly sensitive documents from Theresa May's briefings and provide them under a pseudonym to the British press, an obvious violation of the Official Secrets Act. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, crimes were committed. They 
uh, even sought plan to spy on and de- and um, disrupt the top Brexit negotiator of Theresa May. We have emails where they're calling to kill Theresa May. Uh, I think historically. The effort was funded by reclusive billionaires like the Claude family. Again, people with the British public never heard of. And uh, beyond that, Richard Dearlove claimed credit in emails we reviewed for uh, influencing Boris Johnson to block the Chinese telecom provider Huawei from British soil, which was a major caused a major rift in British Chinese relations and an escalation in the new Cold War. Um, we now uh, that we've published it are seeing people uh, who might not otherwise be positively predisposed to the gray zone, including a pro-Remain lawyer detailing how their homes and properties were broken into during this period uh, when these MI6-style operations, espionage and targeting of pro-Remain groups were proposed. I mean, this is a wide-ranging conspiracy managed by a shadowy cabal that yeah. no one in the UK or US has heard of. And it really shows how British politics, how deeply undemocratic British politics are. And I assume uh, our politics are very similar. Max, you say in the piece that these accusations could constitute treason. Treason is arguably the most serious criminal charge that a person can face. Is there any investigation taking place in the UK right now? Are law enforcement authorities Looking at this, do you see anybody perhaps being charged? This reminds me of the piece we published on Julian Assange, where yeah. he had the documents exposing that the CIA plotted to poison him. Yes. He had the documents on the CIA doing apparent break-ins of his lawyer's office and targeting his associates, spying on his partner, so on and so on. And it took over a year for the mainstream U.S. press to pick up on it or even report it. And that's what's happening here. The British press is torn between its uh, support for Brussels, the you know Guardian and Independent, and the those centrist and center left publications, and their loyalty and fealty to the security state. And they can't decide which way to go. So so far, there's silence. And they if they created a drumbeat, there would be prosecutions. This is a we've uncovered a major scandal. Yeah, I mean this is a once in a generation scandal, and it's going to deepen as long as we're able to continue publishing and watch thegrayzone.com later this afternoon, because we're going to have a follow-up on Preeti Patel, the UK Home Secretary, who is going to determine whether Julian Assange is extradited to the US, and we will expose her unsuitability to make this decision. Wow. Max, um, the British press is is famously... Uh out there. They're not afraid to to publish even some of the most outrageous accusations. Are they covering this story? The Guardian published a series of scandalous pieces in that they were bogus by Carol Codwaller and uh, attempting to uh, prove that Russia was behind. Oh, for heaven's (laughs) sake. And what we have here is proof that MI6-linked elements were behind it, and the installation of Boris Johnson as prime minister because Theresa May was moving too slowly and too half-heartedly, wasn't willing to do a hard Brexit. I mean, the the goods are all here. It's all right there, concrete evidence. And and why would these these same people, this cabal, why would they now be seeking to to throw uh, Boris Johnson out? Wasn't he the, the creature that they created? It, well, well, 
they are they're they're now disappointed with him because Boris Johnson is someone who gets distracted working at home because there's too much cheese in his refrigerator. I mean, this was recently reported by the British press. They realized that they've inserted adult. I mean, look at all of the machinations that went into inserting a uh, dementia-addled person as president of the United States. Yes. Or, do, or, or who knows what, I mean, or whatever went into getting Donald Trump as president. Uh, and he, 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 all of these leaders wind up disappointing the puppet masters schemers behind them. And that's what we're seeing with Boris Johnson, as we've exposed with these emails, they appear to be plotting against him, looking for a more hardline and conniving figure. Than wow. Him. Wow. Max, I know you're pressed for time, so I'm just going to ask you one last easy question. Uh, what's next for this? As I said in the intro, you you published this based on primary source documents. You saw the documents. You said in the piece that you were able to confirm their authenticity. This isn't something that that ought to just easily go away. So what's next in this story? Well, I, I mentioned the Pretty Patel piece. Yeah. That's go, due up imminently, but there's much more there. And, you know, I know that there are people who monitor Sputnik within the U.S. security state. So, you know. There's nothing you can do about this. It's already it's already out. It's there. out there. Whether whether we publish it or not, it, uh, the question is, how disciplined can the mainstream British and U.S. press be in suppressing one of the major scandals of our time because it involves the security state that also animates the mainstream U.S. British and U.S. and British media. Okay, man, I'd love to talk about this again uh, at some point in the near future. Thank you for doing this work. Max Blumenthal uh, joined us from Washington. He's the editor-in-chief of The Gray Zone. Go to grayzone.com. He's also an award-winning journalist and the author of several books. Uh, should we take a break or you want to just... Uh, no, we might as well just no. keep going here and then we'll yeah. take a break at we, 1 and p.m. We have, actually have a couple of other... Uh, stories, issues that we wanted to raise at the start of the show, and we frankly ran out of time because yes. I was babbling on about Steve Wynn's artworks. Well, and I just think it's so <laughs> shameful what they're doing. To, oh, man, again, never felt more sympathy for for Nina Yankowitz than I do at this moment. <laughs> no, there's been an update from the trial of uh, Michael Sussman. Yes. Right, this sort of key test case for the Durham investigation, whether or not this, um, you know, longtime DNC lawyer, lawyer for the Clinton campaign, uh, whether, you know, he, he's accused of lying to the FBI and not telling them he was working on behalf of a client when he dropped off some information that he said he thought implicated Donald Trump in secret communications yes. with Russia. Yes. Uh, and so today or today or yesterday, the most recent update on the trial uh, includes testimony from an FBI supervisory special agent, a fellow named Scott Hellman, uh, who was talking about what exactly that information was. Uh, and it was pretty it's pretty interesting. He's testified he was assigned to review the allegations and the data that Sussman delivered, but he was not told where it came from. And he had he said more than once, look, if I had known where this came from, you know, I would have also taken that information into account in my in my assessment. But either way, he studied the data and within a day he concluded that it did not support the allegation that was made about these direct communications between Trump Organization and Alpha Bank uh, that were trying to get around, uh, you know, get around channels that other people could could view. Right. The yes. Secret secret back channel. Uh, he said the assumption you'd have to make is so far reaching. It just didn't make any sense. 
uh, you know, and that even though we would have liked to know where the information came from, from a technical standpoint, he would have done the same technical analysis. Uh, he also said, this is sort of funny. <laughs> the more yeah. I read this thing, it feels a little 5150-ish. 5150. Yeah. Yes, now it makes sense to me. Yes. When he was asked to clarify, and he said, I think maybe the person who authored these allegations was suffering from some mental disability. Yeah, 5150 is the part of the law that allows the authorities to forcibly commit someone to a mental institution if they're a danger to themselves or to the public. So he's like, I looked at this, you know, I hunted it down. I did not know that it came from a source that some might consider to be suspect or biased, and within a matter of a, a day or two, concluded that it was nonsense. But the information somehow went on to be investigated by another branch of the FBI uh, and then sort of went on for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps later on in the trial, we'll figure out how this happened. I think that the analysis like went to a branch in Chicago. Interesting. But I don't know exactly who I don't know how it got picked up and, and, and taken further and why it wasn't dismissed after after this guy's assessment. But the uh, this also reminded me um that I, for some reason, had forgotten this. I forgot that Sussman also went to the CIA. Oh, Do you remember this? No, I don't. He went to the, so he went to the FBI, but he also uh, went, I mean, Durham accused him of going to the CIA in 2017 uh, that, uh, with it, data purported to show Russian-made phones being used in the vicinity of the White House complex. <laughs> and that they're using these secret, these secret phones. Come yeah. on. Yeah. So Sussman was out, out trying everywhere. Anyway, this doesn't make his information look particularly good. And probably, no. you know, the the swiftness with which it was dismissed, at least by this agent. Yes. You know, I'm sure we will hear more testimony. And, you know, uh, the assessment's lawyers have pushed back and said, well, you analyzed it too quickly is the problem. And you missed the real import of it. Uh, but, yeah, certainly not, uh, you know, not, not making Sussman look terrific so far in the trial. May I add one little tidbit about phones? I guess so, John. You know... Are you going to talk about how you forgot yours today? No, for the first time in my life. You I know, for, I know people I who have... my phone. I know people who have never owned a cell phone. Would you wow. believe that? Yeah. Wow. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get along without it. Um, phones. Uh, it, no Russian phones were in the active in the vicinity of the White House. That's mm-hmm. a that's a red herring right there. Um, no intelligence service would bring its own phones for operational purposes to use in a foreign country. When I was working overseas uh, and I wanted to make a call to a sensitive agent, I would go to a random store. I would just pick it completely at random. I would do a two-hour surveillance detection route to get to the store. I'd pick like the fourth or fifth throwaway cell phone in the in the line. Oh, you wouldn't have a phone that had big Cyrillic letters on it that said, you know, God Precisely. bless Mother Russia, like a huge Can you one imagine? to call. Yeah. I registered under a fake name. I make the call. I break the phone in half and I throw it in the garbage. You don't have the Cyrillic number and letter phones. Not Cyrillic numbers, but Cyrillic letter phones standing out of the White House and saying, oh, I think I see Biden through the window. Here's my intelligence report. Come on. What's he doing? We'll see, John. Maybe they'll call you to testify. (sighs) Uh, The other interesting news today uh, before we take our last break here is uh, U.S. women's soccer have gotten a new uh, agreement, a new um, 
payment agreement that achieves equal pay for men and women and sets the standard for international soccer pay. So it's going to be the first federation in the world to equalize FIFA prize money, which is pretty interesting. Um, you know, I think this is actually pretty exciting. Yeah. And also, the re- you know, the reason U.S. women's soccer, I think, is, is ahead on this is because U.S. women's soccer has for such a long time been uh, so much better than Oh, my men. God. The only professional soccer game I've ever been to has been women's soccer. And also very popular. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. they, you know, they can, you know, if, if you have to justify getting equal pay with uh, playing better and being as popular, if not more popular than they, they were able to do it. It's interesting looking at the, I was looking into what actually changes in the deal. And one of the changes that was made is that women's women's soccer, because now they have, a you know, the same collective bargaining agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, but women's soccer gave up guaranteed salaries for their players. Mm-hmm. So now, like the men, they will be pay for play, which they hadn't been before. Right. Like, I think 20 years ago when this was uh, first being uh, you know, hammered out because there weren't really a lot of women's professional clubs in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't actually earn a salary as a soccer player. Right. You'd have to go to your regular job and then like see if you could get time off to play at the Olympics or play at qualifying mm-hmm. matches. And they said, we can't have that and have a viable team. So we'll pay our players. Men have never had that particular hurdle. But now the evolution of women's soccer has pushed it such that uh, they're able to work that mm-hmm. way. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's a, I th- feel like it's a real victory for for women's soccer, which absolutely has deserved that recognition for a long time. And I think it's maybe, great. you know, maybe for portend something for women's sports uh, across the board, at least on the sort of national and international competition level. Agreed. So we'll see. We're going to take a quick break here and come back to talk a whole lot about those very interesting primary results. Yeah. And aliens. That's right. You'll hear it all here on Political Misfits. We're on Radio Sputnik. We're live in D.C. We'll be right back. Back to Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, where we bring you news, politics, and culture without the red and blue treatment. I'm John Kiriakou, here with Michelle Witte. The House of Representatives yesterday held the first hearings since 1966 on the issue of UFOs. The primary testimony came from Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence Scott Bray and Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence Ronald Moultrie. They showed previously classified videos of spherical objects speeding past U.S. military jets at fantastic speeds and glowing green triangles flying up and down the east coast of the United States. And they said that the U.S. has no evidence, at least not yet, of any alien landings anywhere. Both officials confirmed that the Pentagon had created a new UFO task force to further study the phenomena And they said that reports of sightings are now increasing. And I mean, sightings by U.S. military pilots are increasing because there is no longer a stigma attached to it. The hearing was followed up by a classified hearing where members of Congress could ask questions about U.S. military capabilities to track the UFOs and to photograph them. Well, we are joined by Jamarl Thomas here in the studio. Jamarl is the co-host of Sputnik's popular morning show, Fault Lines, which you can hear every day from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on Radio Sputnik. Welcome back, buddy. What's going on, man? Man, these hearings. I actually love these hearings. I went home last night, or not last night, I went home yesterday afternoon, and uh, 
and went straight to YouTube to yeah. watch to watch the hearings. What did you think? Um, you know, these are serious people. Yes. Right. These they, aren't just lunatics off the street that what, came and said, I saw I saw a flying uh, yeah. disc. Whatever, whatever I think about the paucity of what they're doing in these hearings, I do accept that it's a legitimizing effort. Meaning the original report it's that came incremental. out. Exactly. The yeah. ODNI report that initially came out, the UFO community was like, oh, what is this? This is horrendous. Now me, I was like, this is fantastic. You basically got all of these intelligence, alphabet soup agencies sign up saying, yes, this is a report we're going to endorse. And that report was like, there are physical objects. We need to get rid of the stigma. We need to um, have more scientific research in this particular endeavor. That report was phenomenal for what it was supposed to do, which is this is real. This is legitimate. This is something that is a significant thing that we need to pay attention to. And so this kind of follows that. My assumption was that they were going to have report, report, investigation, report, report, and it is going to be a slow plotting process. Nobody is going to come out and say, we're being visited by aliens. Nobody's going to right, say that. Right, right. It is politically dangerous to do so. That. Not at all. What you should expect is a boring report, a thing like this, where it's going to be slow and plotting. The issue here is that the Pentagon shouldn't have control of this, period. The Pentagon for 80 years has been lying about this issue yeah. completely and yeah. fully. And when Congress started getting involved, Christian Gillibrand, um, yeah. Ruben Gallego, you had uh, Marco Rubio, all of these people were like, especially once they were being briefed by Lou Elizondo and some of the people associated with him, their thought was, oh, my God, there is something invading our airspace. What do you mean something turned off our nuclear missiles? This is a big deal. We need to see about it. Pentagon, what do you know about it? And the Pentagon is mum, mum. And so it's like the videos come out and the people are like, whoa, you guys were sitting on that? Is that from the Pentagon? Pentagon was like, no. And then it's like, okay, yeah, it's from us. Here are the other videos associated with it. The Pentagon has not been truthful about this. And so they came up with this anomaly thing. What do they call it? It's the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. Are you kidding? What the hell is that? And so they come out with that the moment that Congress gets serious about it as a way of usurping Congress effort to go into this. Because what Gillibrand wanted was wide and expansive. She wanted um, stuff that they had behind the scenes. They wanted equipment and materials if they had access to it. She wanted reports that are coming out multiple times. She wanted investigations from all of the various agencies. She even went as far saying, I want, I think it was like a transmedium organization for objects that are basically coming out of water and flying to the sky or vice versa. And she wanted that stuff put up for public consumption. So the military, their group, group, don't come close. Don't come close. Well, tell me about this, this latest fight I'm hearing about that, yeah. that now it's the Pentagon or elements of the Pentagon that actually want to release this information and that it was the CIA and DIA and NSA that didn't want to yes. have this hearing uh, be a public hearing. Yeah, so there's like a fight behind the scenes in regards to what should we release. And Congress is getting very annoyed. At the fact that they are not releasing, like for example, well, I don't see the I don't see the harm in releasing any of what we saw yesterday. They should absolutely release what they saw, and there was no harm in releasing those other particular videos. The harm is, I think, whatever you put out, you're stuck with. Period. This is not a video game. You can't go back and say, okay, put the toothpaste back in the back. However, the public responds is how the public responds. I mean, people need to really grasp the gravity of this. I mean, when that ODNI report came out. They, the government basically placed something in our reality that wasn't there prior. Here's a mystery box. Here's something that is mysterious that is now attached to your reality. We don't understand what it is. We don't understand how it works. We don't understand who's operating it. We don't know anything about this. And the catch is, it's like, well, if you don't know anything about it, but you're acknowledging that this is a real issue and the people are encountering these things, 
Okay, that's a big deal. I mean, then a report came out from the Sun from the FOIA requests from the ATIP program, and they were talking about like physiological effects. They had what, what? fifteen hundred pages from the research that they were doing at ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat yeah. Identification Program, and they were basically going into a report on human effects, how human beings are reacting to devices that they're coming in contact with, and it it was. <laughs> The report is astonishing. It wasn't written in the sense of, well, we think craft. It wasn't that. It was we have hundreds of cases of people that we know was in contact with anomalous vehicles. And here are the effects associated with those particular people. They took it as a flat fact thing as they were doing the investigation. It took them four years for the sun to get that information out of the FOIA requests from the stuff that they were studying. They were studying some very weird stuff. And so it's like when these guys come out and people like me say, this is the video you show me? Yeah. It's like, what is this? Yeah. I mean, the video that I said that yesterday. Yeah. It's like, what is this? So, I mean, some of it, like the, the, the one where, where that round the, object was flying through at super speeds. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. But, but they didn't, didn't even slow it down. Anything. Or but, slow it down. Yeah. I want to see what it is. It looked like a reflection. To and tell then you the when the, final, the person finally asked, hey, do you have other data sets that basically kept the same? We'll talk about that after. Yeah. He didn't want to say. Yeah. And the Post said today that they didn't want to say because they don't want the Russians and the Chinese to know our, our the capabilities of our cameras. Yeah. That we have on the on the plane. Sure. That's what it is. But then you look at these the one with the night vision. These. By the way, that almost assumes that it's not China and Russia. Built into. Oh, it. you know what? That's a good point. Yeah. Built into that assumption is it's not China. It's not Russia. And we don't want them to give them any knowledge of our capabilities. Yeah. I mean, and Mitt Romney said the same thing. I don't believe it's China. I don't believe it's Russia. I don't believe it's aliens. And it's like, dude, how so, you've so taken everything off the table. Yeah. So what, what is, is it then? Yeah. What is it? I mean, but he didn't go into, well, I mean, if it is an alien civilization that I don't think it's anything we should be harmed or scared of, et cetera. They would have by now. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the way I look at it, too. It's like this stuff has been, they've been picking this stuff up for like 80 years. Yes. And even when you're looking at older stuff beyond that point, like drawings and everything else. Yes. Like, for example, Bob Solis. I went to the, um, to the event at... It wasn't the White House. It was in D.C., though. Bob Soleus, uh, what is it? Bob Jacobs. There were other people who were military personnel that were at nuclear facilities, running those facilities, by the way, and having a light or something appear in the sky. In some cases, it was a craft and the missiles were shut down. Now, they asked them that at the hearing. He's like, hey, did you hear about the nuclear missiles being shut down? I had an interview with... Um, with Lou Elizondo, the guy who headed sure. the ATA program. Yeah. I brought that up to Elizondo, and Elizondo was like, yeah, that's a real thing. And so when that's brought up, he's like, oh, we don't know anything about that. We don't know anything. How do you not know anything about that? They literally had a meeting in D.C. where all of these guys presented all of this evidence information. They had all of these affidavits. They went down the timeline. That stuff took place over the course of several months. And multiple things. I mean, these nuclear missiles are set up in a way that if anything happens to one, the other ones can fire. Yes. All of these things went down. And they're like, okay, that shouldn't happen. Now, why don't you know that? Also, why didn't you have the military personnel answering those questions as opposed to these guys who seem to be just, okay, we'll give you some window dressing to just authenticate that this is real. No, give us the data. People want so data. What's the, what's the next step? You know, Congress, Congress is as interested in this as we are, yes. right? That's why this, this hearing oh, took place absolutely. In, the, in the first place. Yeah. But it's not up to Congress then to take the next step. It's up to the Pentagon. Should and be for Congress to take the next step, It should be. Yes. It should be, but they won't. Yeah. I mean, I worked on Capitol Hill for right. years. I, I know how <laughs> right. it works. It actually doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so what does the Pentagon do next? Should we expect more more information releases? Yeah. Should we expect more videos, maybe more public hearings? I think the Pentagon is trying. See, my biggest fear with the Pentagon is that they have to deal with 80 years of obfuscation. 
yeah. and pretending as if it didn't yeah. exist. You can't just start fresh. Yeah, you can't pretend like this. Is, trust me now. Trust me now. You can trust me now. And so, like Tim Burchett, we I gave a video of Tim Burchett's response to this. Tim Burchett was like, "This is nonsense. These guys are covering up. They're hiding this information from the American public." I feel the same way. And so it's like, all right, so now I'm supposed to trust the Pentagon to put out a narrative that may condemn the Pentagon for previous malfeasance. Sure. But condemning the Pentagon for not knowing what was in their airspace. Did they alert the president to what was going on in their airspace? How did they keep this quiet? Why don't you know what this is going into sense of facility? They have to answer all this stuff. They're not going to do that. Um, what they will do is craft a narrative to make themselves look good and makes themselves look as if we're putting out information. I think the thing is, though, whatever they put out, it is probably going to be similar to what they're putting out yesterday. Here's something in the sky. We don't know what it is. It looks very weird. It's odd, but you can't identify anything from the information that you're basically getting. Well, how, how did they come to the conclusion yesterday that these things are unmanned? I think it's the size. They're so tiny. Like, like for instance, that ball that was going at that radically speed when yeah. it shot through the camera. That thing was tiny. I don't necessarily think it was big enough for a person. So uh-huh. for them, I think they look at it as, okay, a person can't fit into that. If something was in it, it's going to be three inches high. We don't believe that. So in their heads, this is a drone. Yeah, size. I think it's size. Because otherwise, they don't have... Lou Elizondo made the point and said, we assiduously work to staying out of what's in it. And it's like, dude, how can you ascertain <laughs> intent if you don't deal with what's in it? What's in it is the most important thing. Yeah, the technology is interesting, but what is running that? Meaning when David Fravor was like, oh, my God, how did that thing do that? That's not us. The first thing that or the one of the most interesting thing, what's in it? What's flying that? Yeah. And let me ask you another question, too. We can't be the only country on no. Earth God, that no. sees these things. God, no. So tell me about that. Brazil, Operation Saucer. So in Brazil, and I know the Soviet Union has been um, investigating stuff in Russia also. But Brazil, there was a report in Brazil that is fantastic. You can even see it on their website now. These people in a various community in Brazil saying they were being attacked by aliens. People are like, what? No way. But the reports kept coming out to such a degree where the Brazilian military was like, okay, we're going to investigate. So the Brazilian military sent, I believe it was the Air Force, down to the area to investigate. Initially, they classified all that stuff. But basically, when this stuff came out, people were drawing pictures of craft. They were taking pictures of people losing their hair from radiation burns. People were having marks all over their body and arms. Um, And, of course, there's a military write-up over the things that basically took place that was probably classified, including videos and everything else. Some of that stuff was released. You can go to Brill's website now, right now. You can see it. I believe it's called Operation Saucer. Um, but they're not going to be the only ones that investigate that stuff. Brazil is apparently having a hearing coming up recently where I don't think you're going to get the Pentagon stuff. I think Brazil is probably going to be more advanced in regards to the way they're talking about it. So, yes, there Very are definitely other countries that are engaged in it. And Operation Salsa is fantastic. Just crazy to me. Um, listen, I wanted to ask your opinion. And I know I know that you don't know any more than what we've been told. Uh, but but your background yeah. is I I mean, you've got a very deep uh, background. Yes. So when when we see these things, when we see the videos, yeah. I'm stuck on the videos because you know, it's like my, I can't believe what my eyes are, yeah. are showing me. When we see these things flying in formation, for example, right? Oh, like oh, the ships of the coast of California were those couple. It was Russell Roosevelt. It was a few ships that they were basically buzzing around that yeah. people didn't know what they were. Yeah. And they're in formation, right? And they're able to turn together, right? How how do authorities explain something like that? Oh, I don't think they do. I mean, Alexander, the way he talked about it was that there were multiple, let's say, shapes and so forth. And he was able to get the mechanics from the standpoint of a physics mechanics of what needs to happen for it to work. But they don't necessarily know how it works, which is, again, one of the other questions is like, how is it doing that when you're trying to hit it with radar? And it seems that the radar is scattering. 
well, the U.S. will say, oh, that's signal management. Or is it really signal management or is it they're using um, some kind of propulsion system? Let's say some kind of alteration of gravity that deflects the moment that you try to hit it. Keep yeah. in mind, light yeah. always goes in a straight line. And so if something is manipulating gravity from the standpoint or the point of view of light, it's going in a straight line, even if gravity is warped, meaning space is being warped. So the light is kind of going around. Right. From the light's point of view, it's a straight line. But we don't know the mechanics of the craft and how those things are flying in a way and whether or not that's affecting our capabilities in regards to the way we regard it. And so they are in the dark on a lot of the stuff. As far as we know, I mean, who knows the stuff that they were like some of the research they were getting into for ATIP. It was like um, electro gravel. Um, Electrogravity, uh, what is it called? Basically, using electricity in order to shape gravity. They were trying with yeah. that. They were trying invisibility. They were trying some weird and out there stuff in regards to the stuff that they were testing. Not to mention, you get to Skinwalker Ranch and they were trying to figure out how, and this was more AWOL, uh, what is it, ALSAP or something like that. There were two programs. There was ATIP, and then there was a larger program that got far weirder and, and stuff that they were studying. I don't even cover the large program. It gets too weird. I mean, they were going into like Skinwalker Ranch. Too weird about, or... Just fun enough. Right. <laughs> it is bizarre. <laughs> when they get into Skinwalker Ranch, a DIA agent goes to Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And, the DIA and there have been documentaries about Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, man. Ranch. It is so creepy. It is. It is. You know, it was, it was Tyrell Ventura, formerly of RT, uh-huh. who turned me on to this. Did he? Yeah. Did there's he? a lot of weird stuff that's been going, down, the going DIA on down there. DIA was the one that basically got this kicked off when they went to Skinwalker Ranch. And the guy who's sitting there, he's seeing something appear in the air yeah. as he's having a conversation. He doesn't say anything. And when they're leaving, he's talking to, I think he's talking to Burt Bigelow. Burt Bigelow was the one who ran that program for Harry Reid. And Bigelow was like, he's like, did you see anything? He's like, what do you mean? Did you see anything in the, in the room? And he says, dude, what did you see? Just tell me what you saw. He's like, I saw something floating and forming the air and everything else. So they started using Skinwalker Ranch as a research project. Yes. I think they had like 50 researchers. They were setting up all of these experiments around the house and the place and everything else trying to catch anything. And basically Bigelow ends up selling the place because he gets frustrated. He's like, it was screwing with us. Every research or test that we tried to do, it's as if it was screwing with the test results. And so, like, for example, they had set up two cameras, one camera looking at the other camera. One camera gets taken apart with the other camera not seeing anything in it. Well, they would have all of these cameras around the house. None of these things are taking anything, even though all of the cameras are flashing as if there's motion. It is very weird. Even stuff that they were seeing in the shadows, and it's bizarre. It is entirely bizarre. Yesterday, uh, of course, I know that you weren't privy to what happened in the classified uh, Mm -hmm. uh, hearing. Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, but... um, was there any talk in the open hearing about uh, about mechanics and about the the science behind the speed that some of these things can achieve? Not that I am aware of. I mean, all things have been and see that's another thing. It's like when you have people like Fravor who said that thing went up at eighty thousand miles an hour or something yeah. like that, some ridiculous speeds. Right. Well, when I have the radio operator there that can yeah, I was there. I saw that. Yeah. Or Fravor there. Yeah, I was there. I saw that. I mean, it's not like you don't have radio operators. It's not like it's only human visual sight. I mean, right. when Fravor went for the Nimics thing, Fravor didn't go there because he just felt it. They, they radioed him and said, hey, we're seeing a disturbance on radar. We need you to go check that out. And then you have people who are on the boat working with Bigelow was like, yeah, I saw something come out the water. When Fravor gets there, Fravor says, I see something bubbling in the water. water and it, up into the sky. Exactly. What ended up happening, though, Fravor sees it. And as Fravor starts to go down, the craft starts to mirror his actions coming up. Oh, and there were two gosh. people. There was Alex Dietrich, a female in one plane. Fravor was in another. Both of them had wingmen. So both four people were in the sky watching this thing for like five minutes. And it starts to mirror Fravor's actions. At a point where Fravor was like, oh, screw it. I'm going to go in on it. The thing takes off. Split second. 
Why not have the radio operator there? So yeah, I saw that thing leave. I saw it appear on the other radar. The speed that it would have taken to do that is X, Y, Z because it happened in a few seconds. That's what I mean. Like they're putting these guys there who don't have any necessary information on the main things that people are talking about in regards to the stories that are being brought up and discussed. I mentioned on your show one time months ago yeah. that I, I talked to a guy who had been an F-16 pilot when we were still flying F-16s. Yeah. And he told me that he once saw something, uh-huh. a craft of some sort off the coast of North Carolina, and he believed it was scooping up seawater. Interesting. And then he said it took off at this fantastic speed and then made a right angle turn that was physically impossible to pull off. It's physically impossible for us. But if you're manipulating gravity, it doesn't matter. Meaning because what's under normal circumstances, you have inertia, you have all these pressures. So if you move forward, there's a pressure going on your chest when you're trying to move. And so airplanes usually have to take these weird, like long hooks. Yeah. But that's because you have to deal with the air mechanics of an aircraft. Right. Okay, what if you take that out? And you're basically using gravity in order to warping space in order to move. From the perspective of the people in the vehicle, nothing's taking place. From the perspective of an observer, that thing is making a right turn <laughs> at fantastic speeds. Meaning, it could be the propulsion system in and of itself that's controlling the way that thing is operating. So for our standpoint, okay, that looks impossible. From the standpoint of the person in the vehicle, not so much. We're just manipulating right. space in order turn. to move. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's, that's what I mean. It's like if you're hitting that with radar and the radar scatters, it's like, oh, they're trying to prevent us from watching. Or the way that the thing is moving is using a propulsion system that is not necessarily something that we use ourselves, in which case it makes it look impossible. I mean, like they have to take that into consideration. And I strongly believe that the people who are actually researching this stuff is. These people are coming out talking from the Pentagon. Not so much. That's what, Man, I don't like, I, like, that's what annoys me about this. I get that the point of this is to legitimize it. I get yes. it. I mean, this was something Grant Cameron said a long time ago. He says, look, you're not going to get disclosure. You're going to get validation first, period. And he said this years ago. He said this. Grant Cameron came out and made the point of saying, look, this stuff is being managed in a particular way for the public itself. And that this stuff is going to come out. I mean, that's gets backstory with it. But his point was, you're not going to get disclosure. You're going to get validation. And once it's validated, you can start whittling your way to more. Uh, but it seems that a play is being run. I don't know what that play yeah. is. And it seems that they are giving very like titrating the stuff yes. to the public in this kind of weird, they tiny, don't want tiny us way. To panic. I think it's that on some level. It's like whatever you do, you're stuck with. This is not a video game. And I think people need to get the gravity of that. Like under normal circumstances, we have an idea of the world as being a solid place. Great. What happens when something is added to your reality of things that you find to be radically impossible and not just radically impossible? You don't know what it's coming from. You don't know if it's us. You don't know if it's not us. You don't know the technology that they have at their disposal. We may be just being a whisper of it. What does your world look like when you have the capacity to manipulate gravity? What does it look like? And when you're looking at something that has the capacity to do that and you're like, oh, my God, that seems radically impossible. That is added to your world now. That is part of your reality. The moment that you accept that is being true. What does our world look like? What does our world look like when you have a situation where, okay, something is visiting us? Does that mean you need a one world government to deal with it or the individual government's going to deal with something off planet individually? That doesn't necessarily seem to make a huge amount of sense. Like we got to we have to grapple with that. Our we really world have to get, is going to fundamentally change. I was going to say we just have to get the Martians to join in and uh, sanction yeah. Russia. Like, <laughs> bi- bilateral relationships with other with other planets. You know, and I, I'm reminded of something that Captain Kirk said in, in season one of the original yeah. uh, Star Trek is that everything changed when we developed warp speed. That's right. You know, once we were able to travel at the speed of light yep. or faster than the speed of light, 
literally everything changed. Think about what happens to your world, your ability yeah. to get from point A to point B, your ability to harvest resources from other planets. I mean, even this notion of what does it mean for us as human beings and the other technologies that are spun off from that, even if it doesn't necessarily. Think of what we got from NASA from sending stuff in space and miniaturizing those products. We ourselves were able to use stuff that they were creating there, meaning there's all sorts of offshoots from the technology that is being developed. And the fact that these guys are seeing this stuff and you finally get them to say, OK, OK, that's real. And, you know, look, look how quickly we're moving with the technology too. the first space shuttle was launched with the same computer system that was used that's in right. an Atari gaming. System. That's right. Look how far we've come, how quickly. Why do you think that they, my question is why now? And that's something I have no yeah, idea why. why I wasn't sure if something was coming. I wasn't sure do if there was something think, they were trying to get ahead of. I mean, do you think that part of it is just the, the deluge of, of news? You know what I mean? Like, Because yeah. when I, we talked about when the first uh, DNI report came out in, in 2021, yeah. going like, wow, this would have gotten a lot more attention, but there's all kinds of crazy stuff yeah. going on right now. And I, I, own, I mean... Part of it is that it just seems, le- you know, it seems less crazy now. There's yeah. been enough wearing down of people going, no, hey, it seems plausible. Okay, you know, why should there. we imagine? Yeah, yeah. we have uh, Umamaru, whatever was the name, Umamuru. Oh, right, Umamaru. Yeah, the, the interstellar traveler, whatever. Oh, but yeah. also, I think it's it's easier to sort of drown it in other, other news. news. Avi Loeb Maybe? was the guy who was studying know. Umamaru. Yeah. yeah, he even wrote the book on it. He was we really- had him on yesterday, actually. He um He's a fascinating guy. Because I always have this thing against scientists, physicists. I always want to bring them on the show to give them a hard time for not backing this up. He's like, so what about this now? And so Avi is one of those guys that accepts, like, look, we need to be studying this stuff. This is some, there's a question that is being presented to our community, our world. We need to solve it. Scientists need to be involved. Yes. And if it. there's a straight line yeah. to one conclusion that makes the most sense, yes. why are we going to draw these squiggly lines to exactly. arrive at different conclusions like, that why are we require pretending all otherwise? these other? Yeah. And like, let's just, let's, let's, we've spoken to him. Yeah. Let's let, let the spirit of scientific inquiry guide you and th- go to the thing that. I think the issue is the ramifications of it. It's yes. so big. Like what it means to your world, what it means, like the moment that you accept, okay, something is coming to this planet in a way that you accept the value of a dollar. What does that look like? Oh, that is, that is radically different. Your world is different. I mean, there's one hypothesis about it. Grant Cameron, I think it was Stephen Bassett. Stephen Bassett was like a UFO lobbyist. He's like the only UFO lobbyist. But he kind of made the point of saying his expectation was Hillary Clinton, as you know, got caught reading UFO books. Yes. She would even have them. Yes. Hillary Clinton also had pushed, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel and her staff or his staff, to ask her about UFOs on the show. This was something behind the scenes in the Clinton email leaks. They're all throughout the Clinton email leaks. And so in that, they were saying, oh my God, she answered it so well, she got to ask the question. And so his thought was, is it possible that Hillary Clinton was going to open the books? And that the people who were behind the scenes... Well, that's what Podesta said. That's what Podesta wanted. That's right. Podesta made the point of saying, my greatest failure was not getting those UFO files released. And so is it possible that the assumption, Clinton is going to win, we're going to get this groups that are in the Pentagon that want these videos released, we're going to push this stuff out. And by her winning, this is going to create enough force and pressure for her to say, look, we got to open the books. I mean, these are videos, something that's going on, these are in the airspace, we got to do something about it. Clinton lost. Clinton lost. Those videos still came out. Yep. And so it didn't get the force that it would have gotten with a person in that office who yeah. was willing to do it. And so it ends up that the reports just come on. People are like, whoa, Pentagon has been holding on to that. So it got bang. It got influence or emphasis, but it didn't necessarily get the president coming in office yeah. saying, hey, we need to do something about this. I'm glad the information's out there, at least. You We're going to have to leave it there. That was our friend Jamal Thomas. Jamal is the co-host of Sputnik's morning show, Fault Lines, which you can hear every day right here on Radio Sputnik from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. 
You're listening to Political Misfits. We're going to take a short break and come back with Politics Wednesday. So, so stay tuned. Political Misfits on Radio Sputnik, where we bring you news, politics, and culture without the red and blue treatment. I'm John Kiriakou, here with Michelle Witte. It is Wednesday, and that means it's time for Politics Wednesday, formerly known as Politics Friday. And today is a great day to start because yesterday saw fascinating and important primary elections in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Idaho, and even a big surprise in Oregon, which we're going to talk about. Goodbye to friend of the show, Madison Cawthon. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so much fun. In Pennsylvania, yeah. the Republican Senate race between uh, TV quack Mehmet Oz <laughs> and hedge fund billionaire David McCormick is still too close to call. Still. Can you imagine? Wow. Too close to call. Oz is leading with 31.3% of the vote to McCormick's 31.1%. Just 2%. Two point. That's I mean, a difference 0.2%. of only 2,500 votes out of 1.8 million wow. cast. And it falls well within Pennsylvania's law that calls for an recount. automatic recount if it's less than one half of 1%. Yeah. uh, On the Democratic side, John Fetterman easily won his race. He carried every county in the state of Pennsylvania, including the counties represented by his opponent, Connor Lamb. I remember that guy. Yeah. I talked to that guy. Connor Lamb was a big uh, star when he won a Republican seat in the House. He thought he could translate that into a Senate seat. It didn't work. Yeah. Uh, But uh, Fetterman won despite having started the day getting a pacemaker implanted after having a stroke on Friday. But uh, the polls show him. That's what I thought. I, I wasn't sure. Ahead. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's going to be okay. Guy, right? If he's if he's six foot nine. Yeah. yeah I know six him. foot nine, him. 330 pounds. He's a big guy. There was a great visual of the endorsements that Connor Lamb got compared to the endorsements that Fetterman got. Uh-huh. And it shows, I mean, it does show what he was up against. I think that wow. there's a danger of like making Fetterman into something he isn't, right? right. He's not a socialist. Yeah. He's no. not. Yeah. In the Pennsylvania governor's race, Trump endorsed uh, Doug Mastriano one handily by 10 percentage points against former Congressman Lou Barletta. Mastriano is an election denier who participated in the January 6th riots. <laughs> so we're going to have to watch that in North Carolina. As Michelle said, our buddy Madison Cawthorn was defeated by State Senator Chuck Edwards. Cawthorn conceded the defeat relatively early last night. He conceded before 10 p.m. They they put everything out there to take him down. Man, here's his hand on another man's penis. Here's his his horse playing. I mean, they hit him with everything. Do you think that was the thing that took him down, or do you think it was, okay, this guy looks childish? No, what took him down was saying that he was invited to orgies with Republican Congressman Snorton Coke. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. That me, did him in. That was the end of it. You don't tell that. You were nice. They were nice enough to invite you. Enjoy the <laughs> Coke. Enjoy the oranges. I mean, you're in a wheelchair for God's sake. You still got invited. That looks like something you should just be like, you know what? I appreciate you guys doing that. Even if you don't want to participate, right? Just accept it and be like, all right, oh, fair man. enough. This is an option for me later on if it's something I want to do. But you don't out the fact that you were at a party where they were doing Coke. How do you do <laughs> that? Wishes. You were at the party. Yeah. In Idaho, incumbent Republican Governor Brad Little, who we talked about last week, uh, easily defeated Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeekin, 53 to 31. That was 
That finish was in line with recent polls and a surprise upset in the making in Oregon's 5th Congressional District. Nobody's covered this, but incumbent conservative Democrat Kurt Schrader appears to have lost to progressive insurgent Jamie McCloyd Skinner with only 53% of the vote counted. And they're just really slow about counting the votes in Oregon. They've always been this way. Yeah. Uh, McCloyd Skinner is winning that race 61-39, oh, which is wow. pretty dramatic. So we're joined by Jamarl Thomas. Jamarl, as I said a minute ago, is the co-host of Sputnik's popular morning show, Fault Lines, which you can hear every day right here on Radio Sputnik from 7 to 10 a.m. And we're joined by Ray Valencia. Ray is a Sputnik news analyst and the producer of this show. Welcome back, both of you. Jamarl, I want to start with you. Um, let's talk about these Pennsylvania races. Right. I mean, this was like the crown jewel of of the primary races yep. yesterday. At least, you know, so far in, in the primary season, there's so much to unpack here. The Democrats, as I said, we can get out of the way quickly. Fetterman won big. Right. Josh Shapiro won big. Uh, as soon as, as uh, Connor Lamb conceded, he endorsed Fetterman. Right. So the Democrats are unified, yeah. which is exactly what the Republicans have been afraid of. Afraid of. Um, the Republicans are another story. The race between Dr. Oz, who has Trump support, and right. Dave McCormick, who has Republican Party support, is still too close to call. Kathy Barnett, uh-huh. who said that you have to the, that being a pedophile is a prerequisite to being a Muslim. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She, oh, she flamed out the last two days. They really? were actually afraid she was going to win this race. Yeah. She came in third and not terribly close. So the polls that we were seeing were incorrect uh-huh. about her surge. Um, she was a lunatic in the public. She was a lunatic. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but tell us yeah. why you think this race is so close between Oz and McCormick and I, why it's still not settled. I am fascinated by that race. I mean, Donald Trump, with the exception of maybe like one person, all of the people that he's back are winning or have won which is astonishing. It is. It's amazing. Like, what does that mean from the standpoint of what is the Republican Party? And the fact that you made the point of saying the other Republican parties were basically backing the guy that Oz was running against yes. and Trump was backing Oz. So it was almost like, OK, this is a standoff between what is the Republican Party? Is it more in line with Trump, who's basically been winning all of these um, endorsements, or is it with the Republican Party? And the fact is, Oz is an interesting character. And I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure. Oz has a huge amount of publicity, has a huge yep. public platform. People know who he is. Yep. And yet he's still struggling in this particular race. Really struggling. Yeah. I mean, these these numbers that he put up last night are not the numbers of a multimillionaire right. who's a national name. Right. Well, exactly. one problem for Oz is he was trying to be Trump and he's right. not comfortable in that. Yeah. You That's know, a he good was point. having a really difficult time. You know, he's having a hard time with this whole issue of choice. He's trying to make himself into a pro-life Republican. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's it, He's not comfortable in his own skin. He knows he needed the Trump endorsement to have a chance in this race. The Republicans, uh, the the establishment Republicans are throwing everything at it because they're in this fight against the Trump endorsement. Yeah. They know it's trouble during the general election. And is it? I think so. I think think there's a half-life on the Trump endorsements. Only because Fetterman is the nominee. Mm -hmm. Because Fetterman's also a populist. Uh Mm -hmm. And the the populists that we saw who voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020 aren't necessarily Republican so much as they are populist. 
Well, if you can take populism away from the Republican nominee, like Fetterman Mm -hmm. apparently has. Especially the libertarian wing of that party. A lot of libertarians kind of had hopes in Trump because they saw him as the business Republican. But then he went really right wing and red meat. So that's leaving people like the libertarians out. And also Fetterman is really appealing to young people. Also, the Republican establishment is really trying you know, to get a lot of their... See, pop- that's where the real fight is. Mm-hmm. The, the fight is in the establishment. It yeah. really is. And because on both they sides. don't appreciate Trump coming oh, in they and telling them what to do. They oh, never no. like... I mean, Mitch McConnell would live with Trump. Yes. He would kind of he dance between to. the raindrops. Exactly. He had to. And would so you, you had the situation where he would never say anything about it. When Trump was about to get impeached, he would help Trump. But if you remember in that speech, he went after Trump the entire speech. And then at the very end was like, but he's out of office. So yes. there's nothing we can do about this. His real feelings were very clear about the Trump stuff. I think the thing is, though, look, I think from my standpoint, the Democratic Party has wrapped themselves in the Ukraine issue. And with Biden sending $40 billion at what, $50 billion at this point, And yet you have inflation based on Biden's own policies, by the way. Just like you got to pay for our values. OK, so when everybody's going to the gas and they're paying 50 percent more for gas, when they're buying food and it's dramatically more expensive. And even when they cherry pick those numbers about, oh, we have 8 percent inflation, they're not including energy and they're not including food in the same mm-hmm. way that all of these other people have to deal with that expense. Whose values are we paying for in this? And if you have a Republican Party that is like America first, America first, America first, Joe Biden is caring more about Ukraine than he cares about America. Look at this inflation. Look how much you're paying. That is a difficult argument for the Democratic Party to deal with, especially considering their response has been to wrap themselves entirely in the Ukrainian policy. And I think from the standpoint of Biden, that is going to be a problem. And that is a serious weakness when you have the public basically suffering under inflation, even the rate hikes, for example. That stuff is going to have a dramatic effect on issues of jobs and whether or not um, the economy hits recession, whether or not people are going to get hired, whether or not there's going to be economic development. You have a 1.4% drop in GDP already, and that's not even including Europe, where you go to Germany, um, France, Spain, et cetera. And all of these countries are dealing with all sorts of domestic issues related to inflation and increased in prices. I think the Democrats are going to have a hard time dealing with that, considering that is at the doorstep with Biden and that is the issue of policy. Now, it depends on where the Republicans hit that. Meaning, are they going to say America first? Are they going to run with that particular mindset? Because they're definitely not unified like they're on gonna, Ukraine either. Yeah. No, they're yeah. not. And they're so not. They, what, they don't have a unified message. That was like, yeah, we're not voting for this mm-hmm. in the House. Yeah. So, yeah. 50. Yeah. And American I, voters, I mean, I don't think Ukraine's like like on the top of the list, on the, the priority economy. list. But like economics. you're saying, inflation yeah. is going to be a big That's thing. Also crime. I mean, not only for... Yeah. You know, the, the rate of gun violence now, it's not only a concern among the Republicans, the Republicans a law and order, say. but the Democrats are weak on crime. Democrats are yeah. weak on crime. That's what they're going to yell. I uh, would just like to inform you all that Donald Trump is advising Dr. Oz to take a page from the Pete Buttigieg playbook and just declare victory. <laughs> oh he has posted this on Truth Social. Oh, nice. <laughs> Dr. Oz should just declare victory. It makes it much harder for them to cheat with ballots that they just happen to find. Oh, I love and that. And he's blaming the Republican Party yes. now for trying mm-hmm. to steal the election. I think that's, that's the most important grand. aspect of this, this kind of war that's taking place in regards to what does it mean to be a Republican and who is the standard bearer for that party. Well, let me ask you. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked a guest yesterday. Yeah. We had uh, Eugene um, Craig, uh, Craig. Eugene Craig, Craig, Eugene Craig, mm-hmm. who used to be the vice chairman of the Maryland Republican Party. Dr. Oz is the only Republican candidate in America uh-huh. whose numbers are upside down in his own party. Yeah. 46 percent of Pennsylvania Republicans like him. 50 percent don't like him. 
and that's why he can only win the barely. nomination barely and in a contested race with multiple candidates. Oh, that's interesting. So, what was their grievance about us? I'm just he's curious. not from Pennsylvania. Oh, he just moved to Pennsylvania so he could run for the Senate. He's from New Jersey. That's even worse. And he's a Turkish citizen. <laughs> he, and he admitted so to great. having voted in the last Turkish election. McCormick's campaign has been, I'm a Pennsylvanian. You yeah. know, because he's actually lived there as he was raised there. His family's been there for generations. That's you amazing. Know? Yeah. yeah. So, so okay. So that's changing the way I look at us. I mean, he basically jumped into a place. He's a fake. He's a fake Pennsylvanian. Yeah. And was still able to get to the point of he's winning this race. Only because Donald Trump endorsed, endorsed him. him. Power a my, my question aura. is, with, with his that's numbers it. being upside down, let's say he wins this thing with, what was it, 30, 33 point yeah. whatever. Uh, it's probably going to get crushed let me go in back the and, and look what it was. If his numbers are like uh, that. Yeah, thir- with 30, 31.3. Let's say he actually pulls it out and wins it. Does he have any path to winning the, the actual no. election? No, I think McCormick would have a better chance I up agree. against Betterman I agree. Oz. McCormick, yes. and again, McCormick is just your... Sort of, you're down the line. He's a RNC, nice, yeah, yeah, normal Republican, classic Republican, classic Republican. He's a little meaner Straight than Mitt Romney, but I think he's kind of he's like a Mitt meaner. Romney. <laughs> he's meaner than Mitt. No, if you watch his ads and stuff, he's yeah. just like got a little more of an edge than Mitt Romney, but pretty much the same platform. But I think if you put him in a general election, he probably less. I mean, the fact that he's from Pennsylvania, the fact that he's a straight-laced Republican, it'll be a Republican he's got versus an a populist. Shot at it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he really I, does. I would agree. But yeah. when you look at the top of the ticket, which I love looking at these races, because when you have governor and then you have the Senate on the same ballot, and then look who's up on the ticket in PA. We have uh, Mastriano. And then that we was have, my next question. Yeah, and then we have um, Shapiro, who could be the first Jewish yeah, governor. No, second. Second, I'm sorry. Milton, was first? Milton Schapp was Jewish. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, I got Milton that wrong. Schapp. A little fact check there. But yeah, <laughs> and in an environment of replacement theory with the Republicans, I mean, it's just all this kind of stuff. There's this conflict, you know, running into each other. Yeah. But um, PA, I, I think that with those two at the top of the ticket, that's going to increase turnout. And yeah. it's really going to benefit the Democrats. You think Absolutely. So? I think so. Well, Mastriano's an election denier, mm-hmm. right? Even in his own Okay, TV so there's two counts wow. that I just want to get in here. Yeah. The reason why the governor is so important in this election is for two reasons. One, because of the, the abortion decision that's going to come down. And the, state the governors are going to take a very important role in whether mm-hmm. they're going to veto this thing or mm-hmm. uphold it. In the state, you know, state mm-hmm. bills, trigger bills, and then the whole certification, the electors Secretary that go right, right to certify the election. That's right. So you got the election deniers. That could potentially be the one that has to certify the election results. Yeah, exactly. Isn't yeah. that something? Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Uh, yesterday, Eugene uh, Craig said that he could not see a scenario where Mastriano wins this race. That would be disastrous. I think. And, and this was another contested primary yeah. where there were you know, 14 Republicans running for governor, several who, who I would consider to be, you know, serious, legitimate uh, people, yeah. not election deniers right. and January 6th rioters. <laughs> and oh, and Mastro, the they were there. Rioter, he was there. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. makes it even worse. The guy was there. <laughs> I, I'm going to compare Pennsylvania this year to, to, um, Missouri in what was it, 2014 to uh, to Delaware when uh, in what was that, 2010, where 
they had a clear path. The Republicans had a clear path yeah. to victory and they nominated a nut and the nut just threw away the election. Do you remember this famous commercial? This woman that was running for Biden's Senate seat in Delaware in her commercial, she says, I am not a witch. Oh, I'm, yes. Oh, I remember that was a Republican. That, that was a Republican. That was so yeah, good. I, well, uh, Christine. Yeah, Christine something. Oh, what did I why see the video? Why would you nominate somebody <laughs> that has to explain that she's not a witch? Because you know why? She was on Bill Maher's show, Politically Incorrect. I guess I'm giving my age. But in that show, <laughs> she said something about witchcraft or something like that. Right. So that's how people knew her. And so she had to make a video. I am not a witch. And if you have to do that in a campaign at Christine just, O'Donnell. That's it. Christine O'Donnell. That's it. Yeah. Just pull out. Just pull up. My mother no, wears a cloth coat. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> right. Do you remember? My Richard mother Nixon. Wears- Richard Nixon, my mother wears a cloth coat, not a fur coat. <laughs> and then he says, you won't have Nixon to kick, kick around, around anymore. anymore. I am not a crook. And exactly. you got to tell people that. There's something let's, wrong. Let's move over to North Carolina real quick. The Senate race wasn't close. In the Senate race, Trump had endorsed uh, Ted Budd. Uh-huh. He just crushed former Republican Governor wow. uh, Pat McCrory, which was nuts because McCrory had been the most Republican governor ever to serve yeah. the state of North Carolina. He only got 24 percent. What in this does race. this mean that Trump has this much power? It's crazy, isn't like, it? That is astonishing to me. And this is after that that ransack of the Capitol. Yeah. After that. After. Meaning the public Bud, knows what they're Bud getting. won every county in the state of North Carolina except Charlotte. Wow. Every county in the state. dominant. The Democrat is former state Supreme Court Justice uh, Sherry Beasley. She won practically unopposed. She won like 91 percent. She won every county in the state. But the polls show her losing pretty handily to Bud. Interesting. At this early stage. So it looks like, you know, to me, it looks like North Carolina is looking more like Florida in that while so many other states are becoming purple, um, Florida, North Carolina and Ohio are becoming more red. Yeah. That's what it looks like to me. Is why. I always think it's interesting also to look at the the contrast between the way that sort of voting goes mm-hmm. sort of when you have, you know, you have a choice between a Democrat and Republican yeah. and what the ballot initiatives say. Mm, yes. uh, in Florida, that was particularly interesting. Ballot yes. initiatives for restoring the right to vote to yeah. felons, for mm-hmm. a $15 minimum wage, for making marijuana legal. And it's like, oh, what if... So those passed. Huh, yeah. What if there was a party that was offering those things? How how red would these states be or how purple would they be? Interesting, you know? that question. That's I, don't know what that, interesting I don't know what that's going to be in North Carolina, what yeah. was on, the, what ballot initiatives there might be. But I always like to do that because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, part of the reason states, uh, you know, develop a particular political character is because of the choice, choice that you are forced into. Yes. Yes. And most of the time when you actually give people a wider variety of political options, it's interesting to see what they choose because yeah. it's not necessarily the narrow uh, provisions offered either by Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. Now, some of those states are <laughs> going to choose stuff that I wouldn't want to see, yeah. but, you know, not necessarily. Actually, No, that's interesting. I mean, because it seems to be a contrast or a contradiction. It's like the Democrat loses. And yet um, I believe it was in Florida. It was the um, passage of, like you said, the, the criminal thing, getting them their rights to vote back, the marijuana stuff. So it's like, so wait a minute. These are left wing policies, yeah. but you guys chose the right wing candidate. And it's like, OK, so what is the left wing candidate offering? And is he not offering those particular policies? Well, no, that's ca- a fantastic question. I can say from California that that is a means ballot initiatives yeah. mm-hmm. um, to get all kinds of lefty stuff on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's usually pushed by activists, you know, uh-huh. so you have a really strong ga- ground game. You know, the money that goes into these things, there's door knocking, people are tabling. It's not like the big party politics where you send your money through Act Blue right. or one of the things and it's then they just buy direct. a bunch of ad buys. It's yeah. this whole kind of campaign industrial complex. 
But yeah, I really love like, I mean, I shouldn't say love ballot initiatives, but it's a definitely a means to, to get more stuff, get stuff on. done. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I want to ask you guys about Madison Cawthorn. You know, we have a fun time love here on the show. Yeah. Just beating up on Madison Cawthorn, <laughs> just because he's so easy to attack, and it's it's fun entertainment. But um, Cawthorn is is he's done. He he's lost. Yeah. He's twenty six years old. It's not a normal thing to have your career just <laughs> yanked out from under you at the age of of twenty six. But he's coming back. He's a smart guy. I he I don't know if he'll come back to politics. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to that in just two seconds. Yeah. He'll come back to something, uh-huh. and it could be a lot of different things, right? Uh, but but I don't think he's going to come back into politics, at least in the near term, because it's not the Democrats that defeated him. Right. It's not the Democrats that went after him. It's his own it was, party. He was Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. And Kevin McCarthy said just two days ago that if this guy wins the primary, I'm still stripping him of his committee assignments. Whoa! Mm-hmm. Now what, what, is, what is his issue with Madison Cawthorn? Just because of the stuff that he's came out about him? said that he's invited to orgies and they're doing bumps of cocaine. What's the issue with that? I mean... I, I am well. That, that doesn't shock me. If you're that Congress members are sniffing coke, it just doesn't. But that's the no, thing but is, you're not supposed to say it. You're not but supposed to say it. Fair enough. Even if they were doing it, though, yeah, you're not supposed that's to say it. He said he was there. He yeah. lied. He made it up. Oh, you're trying to say that he wasn't there as they were doing coke. No, he was never <laughs> invited to any party with coke. How do you know that? Literally nobody anywhere on Capitol Hill would confirm that any such thing happened, even Democrats. Well, of course they're not going to confirm it because no. they'll be implicating themselves. No, I don't believe it. So you I think, think he made, the he, entire think thing he made up. that a whole cloth? Yes. I was invited to a party where they were doing coke and orgies. Yes. There's too much to lose. You can't keep something like that secret. You can't. What about, um, what is the guy? Oh, what is his name? What is his name? Tyler Nixon is Roger Stone. Roger Stone was having like, Orgies and flings and all sorts yeah, of stuff. He's, yeah, that's stuff he's in famous for his orgies, but he's not a member of Congress. <laughs> that is true. Okay, Katie Porter. Was it Katie Porter? The one that was in California yeah. that they basically yeah. sex shamed. I mean, she had stuff in videos and magazines and everything else, and she still got elected. No. Well, they took her out. No, it, wrong. it came out after she got elected exactly. and she had to resign in shame. She shouldn't have resigned. <laughs> and she, there was no shame associated no, with that No, she, she shouldn't have resigned. Yeah. Um, but that's not the issue. Yeah. The issue is she said, yeah, my bad. I did it. I resigned. And she did resign. Yeah. He just made it all up. I just don't. For some reason, if, it doesn't seem far-fetched to me that these guys are sniffing coke together. I, listen, I, I worked on Capitol Hill for years, yeah. right? Every once in a while, somebody might smoke a joint. Uh-huh. Or maybe somebody will do a line of coke. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, coke I never saw. Uh-huh. Weed I used to see. Yeah. But orgies among... <laughs> The, these guys are in their 70s and 80s. That's probably Orgies just not and happening. doing lines of coke? Come on, man. I mean, here's There's the a- thing. I don't think it even matters. It doesn't I find it possible. I think the thing is you're not supposed to not say, supposed to say it. it. Right. I mean, who knows, right? I'm not going to say whatever. People are doing whatever they're yeah. doing. I think you have some people who, yeah, fame brings with it some scrutiny, but it also brings with it some power. So and who knows what people get up right. to? We do know powerful people do terrible things, uh, not often alone. Yeah. Uh, but either way, 
you are not supposed to say it. Yeah. And if you are Madison Cawthorn and you're just sort of randomly spouting off to the Warrior Poets podcast, which is where <laughs> I think he said it, right? He's not he's not on some like cleaning house mission or whatever. He's a what he's a first term and now we know a one term yeah. dude. Like he's not, you know it was like twenty seven or something like that. Yeah. He's very so, yeah, like, twenty six. Yeah, twenty six. Yeah, he's very young. He just turned twenty six like a week ago. I at twenty six I was not prepared to do anything in Congress. No, I think he's done. And you know what? We're running short on time. So yeah. I want to turn it over to, to Ray. You wanted to talk about turnout, which is a very important issue. Did you know? Right. So turnout, I'm looking at turnout a young, among young voters. And Fetterman, from what I'm reading so far, early indications show that he really brought out a lot of young voters. Yeah. And this is interesting because Biden, you know, with his falling approval numbers, uh, he's lost more young voters than any other demographic. People are just kind of sitting out. They're sick of them. Yeah. They're sick of them. So the the progressives have been doing really well in the primaries, and hopefully that'll bring out more young people. And I think more young people translates into a positive for a lot of Democrats if they run the right campaign. And I think Fetterman has presented a playbook that hopefully the party will follow and that would be going to rural areas and getting out of the cities and talking to the multicultural working class that has been left out of the political process over the last several cycles as the Democratic establishment is focused on cities. How yeah. time do we have? Uh, two minutes. A couple minutes. I can't disagree with you more. How is that? We've had the Sanders run. We've had several progressives that used to run. Oh, sure. But the you Democrats know what, Jamal, I've been waiting up. for the pitchforks to come out for some time now. We don't know you when never... that's going to be, but this reversal in Roe could but I guess be my it. Point is the economy could be it. A gun but they're not hitting you that. And the Democrats, you know, from their standpoint, are taking policy that is causing that stuff to be worse. Meaning it's one thing if it's a Republican in office that's basically making inflation worse or making your food. That's one thing. It is another thing when it's the Democratic Party and the head of the Democratic Party that is running that. And those youthful people. What about um, school loans? Biden can get rid of that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the government, they've been kicking the can down the road, but nobody's made a payment on those student loans in the last, I mean, since COVID. And even in the Roe v. Wade, the Democrats left that vulnerable in Oh, it's the Democrats' fault. I mean, 1973, the Democrats had the Congress for, what, 50 years with the exception of two goes? And so now they left that stuff vulnerable so they can say, hey, hey, we might not do anything for you, but the Supreme Court, do you want them to take away your Wolverine Wade? And so it's like you guys basically had the ability to codify this in the law for decades, and you never did it. And you just left it vulnerable using the Supreme Court as a club to compel other people to vote for you. And now that it's gone, it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you should have voted for Hillary Clinton. Get out of here. Well, like, that's there's why the I don't anticipation believe. of something happening and then the actual reality yes. of it occurring. Yes. And I think that there's been a cognitive dissonance that's been very deep <laughs> that's right. going to get. You talked about the, the change in the social construction of one's reality of yeah. aliens show up. Well, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> Could happen after June. <laughs> When Roe is reversed, we will I see. just think it's going to be, we're already seeing protests and many of them are not looking pretty. It's I'm anticipating there could be some, some unrest coming into, yeah. the, into the summer. Maybe unrest. Into that's going to that's gonna have to be the final thought yeah. Yeah. on the issue, I'm sorry to say. Thank you for joining us tomorrow. Thomas, tomorrow is the co-host of Sputnik's morning show, Fault Lines, which you can hear every day from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on Radio Sputnik. And Ray Valencia, thanks for joining us. She's a Sputnik News analyst and the producer of the show. I don't think we have time for a break, do we? No. No, we got to go. Yeah. You wanted to talk about Sinn Féin. This is something we've been oh, meaning to talk about. I mean, yeah, I had one sentence to say about Sinn Féin. 
which is just that Sinn Féin, the, the party's Twitter account said, Ireland will not join NATO. That's all. I mean, <laughs> Ireland's on the other side of Europe from Russia. Does Do you think they're going to reunify? It was a little bit of a, it was a little statement. I thought that was interesting. Do you think they're going to reunify? I think that it yeah. is not going to be in the near term yes, future. I was listening I to another discussion about this today. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course, that's the that's the ultimate goal. But my understanding of this is that Sinn Féin really won. The DUP lost this election. Correct. Sinn Féin won by sort of focusing on the kind of issues that we have been talking about, the healthcare system, yeah. uh, housing crisis, et cetera. So it's not going to be it, it, like a, a referendum. They also don't want to have a, a referendum on the reunification question and lose. Oh, right. So they want right. to be very sure. And they are sort of like this is the first time yeah. that they're going to be taking the first minister post, as I understand it, in, uh, in the Belfast government. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, impetus not to rush it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. But I think that's exactly that right. That has been, yeah. And, it, you know, but of course I, I enjoy a little, uh, yeah. I enjoy a little thumbs up at, or a, a thumb in the eye of NATO there over Twitter. And this China Eastern crash. Oh yeah. Did wow. you guys talk about that this morning, Jamal? No, we didn't so see that. So when we first, uh, you know, when this first occurred, uh-huh. right, you could look at the, look at the videos of that crash of China Eastern Airlines in, um, I forget where it was now. Oh, when did that happen? Other... That happened today? Uh, a year no, ago? No, it oh, happened. Year ago. Um, okay. Uh, was it a year ago? No, no it was more recently than that. Was it more recently, than that. Like a, was it more recently ago, I thought. Well, you, there was a lot of video uh, about it that showed the plane just going straight down. But of course, you look at it and go, well, well I don't know if that's real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the video on the Internet, we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait and see. But it certainly looked intentional. Uh, they found the black oh, yeah. box. It was March. Yeah, so it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. Uh, it looks like it was intentional. Really? That's what the black box is saying. And of course, those videos, you know, I think those videos uh, yeah, are legit. It was they were coming legit. straight down, down. Yeah. like vertically. Do they have but any uh, information on why? Like, no, something no with a and not who and, either and, necessarily. And that's what I wanted to raise. I was, yeah. I was talking to um, FAA whistleblower uh, uh, Bob McLean yeah. about this. And Bob pointed out that almost no airlines, 20 years after 9-11, almost no airlines have locked uh, doors. doors to the uh, to the cabin, really to the uh, po- cockpit, rather shocking. Almost none. We do 9/11. in the United States now only because of nine eleven. Okay, but he says, you know, we're all quick to say, oh, it was a it was a lunatic pilot yeah. who just killed everybody on the plane. Well, we, we don't, don't know, know that. that. Yeah, it could have been a lunatic passenger who got himself into the cockpit. into the cockpit well, and you know it took over. Certainly, it could have been. It crashed in Guangxi, China. So the name I was trying to remember. Uh, officials who spoke to ABC said investigators looked into one of the pilot's personal lives and background and Uh-oh. thought he might have been struggling right before the crash. Wow. But you can be struggling personally and yeah. not crash a plane, a crash a plane. A plane yeah. into mm-hmm. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems pretty clear yeah. that it was intentional. Look at Are you look showing at Jamal yeah, the video the, of the plane the picture, crashing? The picture of the plane oh, going straight down, straight down into, yeah. the, into yeah. the ground. I also would just Stunning. like to say, uh, you know, we didn't mention this because it's not hugely important, but the G7 is hammering together an aid package for Ukraine. Uh, so nice hasn't announced the final. Hey, well, Jamal, do you remember what the figure is on that? What, 15 million? 15 billion. Right, because it's going to give them 5 billion per month in order to keep them going for three months. Yeah, just comparing that. 
of the G7 yeah. to what the U.S. has outlaid so far. $40 billion. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, the other billions that we give them before. I mean, $40 billion now is coming, but yeah. we've already given them. We've already given like them $10 billion like $40 billion. Billion. Oh, what's, wi- oh, what's wild about that? Europe had, oh, wait, I forget the woman who gave the speech, but she was like, you have to more money. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> thanks to Ray. Thanks to Jamal. Thanks to all of our guests and our producers and engineers here. And on behalf of John Kiriakou and me, Michelle Witte, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> 